Uh, So today's reading, as we've heard, is from Jude, and it is verse 17 through to the end of the book, verse 25. Uh, Oh, and it could be uh, found on page uh, 1,231 uh, in your pew Bibles. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. There are the men who will divide you, who follow mere natural, mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friend, build yourself up in the, most holy faith, in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt, snatch others from the fire and save them. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corruptive flesh. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you, and thank you for the opportunity to share, well, not strictly my favourite verse, but my favourite two verses. So I said that Anne and I have been coming to St Sabius for 25 years, and amongst the many wonderful things about this church, I love the cakes, the chocolate, and the coffee. Anne and I visit many churches in the course of a year in the UK and many of them overseas, very different from here. Um, Many of them very extrovert, uh, extraordinary worship in different languages. And I have to say, nowhere have we ever seen hospitality when you arrive in a church better than St. Saviour's. So I'd say give it for the hospitality team. Actually, when you visit an African church, far from being greeted with coffee and cakes and chocolate, you'd be smart to take substantial provisions with you because the average service can last half a day or even longer. And you can also be asked, in fact, you can almost expect to be asked to stand up and share your testimony or offer some encouragement. And if you're the chairman of Tear Fund, as I am, it's not surprising at all as you walk in, if somebody says, oh, and on what text are you preaching today? This is the first moment that anybody has suggested that you might be preaching. Now, I exaggerate a little, but only a little. The fact is, of course, we live in a world of exaggeration. Nowadays, if you want to get any attention from anybody, you must be absolute in your belief. It's the single most important word for politicians, CEOs, celebrities. Absolutely. Prime Minister, will we fix the migrant crisis in Calais this week? Absolutely. 
Alistair Cook, will we win the next test at the Oval? Absolutely. Tom Darwin, will West Ham be crown champions next year? Absolutely. <laughs> yes, might be better. Hopefully, might be more honest. But absolutely reigns absolutely. If media interviews are to be believed, we absolutely believe everything about anything. It's tedious, but there we are. And extraordinary is a bit the same. It's become debased. So now it doesn't mean much more than good. An extraordinary event, an extraordinary goal, an ex extraordinary wicket, whatever it is. So you'll understand why I absolutely believe this sermon will be extraordinary. Well, firstly, the title is extraordinary. Secondly, it will be short. It will contain no list of things to do. It has no slides, and it doesn't even have three points. <laughs> extraordinary. So let us pray. God, you are extraordinary, so extraordinary that we cannot begin to understand you. So in the time we have this evening, please just give us a glimpse of your greatness and your goodness and your glory that we may be filled with joy and awe. Amen. Now, there are, of course, many extraordinary people in the world, and I have met one. It was in 1966, and I was just up at university, and at the end of lectures in the afternoon, I donned my tracksuit to go down to the sports field. I have no idea what sport I was doing, but I remember dashing between the colleges. And I turned a corner through a shortcut and found myself pinned to the wall by two gorillas. Well, they weren't real guerrillas, they were heavy-duty policemen. Because five yards away, coming towards me, was a fairly small lady who was quite familiar. It was Queen Elizabeth II. She was on a royal visit to Oxford. I had no idea. I was just a student. One doesn't know anything in the world when you're a student. As she came to me, she looked at me, she smiled, and she said, good afternoon. And you know what I said? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I was completely overwhelmed. This is probably the worst conversation you could ever have with an extraordinary person. So, have you ever met an extraordinary person? Just turn to the person next to you and ask them, do you know an extraordinary person, a person that you've met? Go. Okay, come on, let's have some suggestions. 
Can somebody tell me the name of the person that the person next to them mentioned? Who did they mention? An extraordinary person. Tom Hewitt, an extraordinary person, absolutely. Somebody else? The Queen Mother, fantastic. Cliff Richards, Sir Cliff Richard. Somebody else, Tom? Jackie Pullinger. David Cameron. Hey, we're doing well. Was there any conversation where you said, I don't think I've met an extraordinary person? Anybody put their hand up on that? You're all wrong. The person sitting next to you is extraordinary. C.S. <laughs> Lewis, C.S. Lewis no less, said, there are no ordinary people. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke, work, and marry. And you know, I've never met anybody who wasn't unique and who possessed some special gift. We are extraordinary. And why? That's how we were created. We were created in the image of God. You remember Genesis? Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. In our likeness. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. You and I created in God's image. And not only did he create us, he cares for us. What is man that thou art mindful of him? If you read Psalm 8, it says, Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, what is man that you are mindful of him? Human beings that you care for them. And he does care for us. He created us and he cares for us. So much so... We are his children. This is extraordinary. We are children of God. Do you believe it? Galatians 3 says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
We are heirs to the kingdom, daughters and sons of God. He created us, he cares for us, we are his children. And he lives with us every day. Do you not know, says 1 Corinthians, that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. You get the message. We are extraordinary. We were created in God's image. He cares for us. We are his children. And he lives with us day by day to comfort us, support us, change us, and inspire us. Okay. So we are extraordinary. So who is Jude? I was going to say, um, I've never heard a sermon about Jude, but apparently there has been one and I missed it. <laughs> but Jude contains my favorite two verses. And the book starts, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. And as Tom says, this is the last book in the Bible before you get to Revelation. And we don't know very much about Jude, um, which might explain the fact that we have to identify him by reference to his better-known brother, James the Just. Now, I think all of us would feel a certain sympathy for, for Jude. Most of us have gone through life at some stage or another being referred to as Ron's youngest son, or John's brother, or Fiona's dad, or in my case, Anne's husband. Of course, it might be that Jude is thought of as being obscure. And Thomas Hardy wrote that famous novel called Jude the Obscure. It was his last novel. And perhaps in people's minds, they think, well, Jude is unintelligible. Well, it isn't. It's pretty hard hitting, but it's certainly clear. And it isn't very long. In fact, it's one of the shortest books in the Bible. A single chapter, 25 verses. And it was written as a letter to Christians to be circulated and read in churches. And Jude urges his readers to hold on to their faith. And he warns them about the dangers of false teaching. It's a very combative letter, a very impassioned letter. It feels rushed. And as we heard in the reading, it starts, my dear friends, Remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. And he goes on, dear friends, by building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the spirit, Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. So Jude is bringing his letter now to an end with words of encouragement to his readers. He has warned them that their common Christian life is in great danger, as indeed it is in our country today. There are attacks on it from false teachers. There are also attacks by the way they live. 
And he pleads with them to live godly lives. And he says, God offers Christians resources with which they can resist attacks. That's God's part. Their part, and our part, is to make full use of those resources, to build up our faith. So Jude tells his readers, ask the Holy Spirit to help them to pray. Spend time in God's love. Talking to him, even about the little things of life. Listening to what he says can help them. He says, help those who may have doubts. Care for people. Don't be selfish. And always be kind to those who deny or refuse to turn to God. And I have to say, it's good, solid Christian teaching. It's important and it's quite dense. And as you come to the end of Jude, you think, I think we're coming to a solemn and earnest conclusion. After many examples and warnings about evildoers and false teaching, some of the strongest warnings in the whole Bible, and after this great call that we should pray, love, and act, you imagine you are being drawn to a great call for repentance or reflection. And you're not. Now, it's like driving in heavy traffic and heavy rain. Have you ever been on a motorway recently in those terrible storms of the last few weeks, plowing along the motorway? Anne and I did that. We were driving to North Yorkshire for a wedding, and it was a really tough journey. For mile after mile on the M1, we saw warning signs about roadworks and bad weather and congestion and delays and so on. And Jude is like that. And you read all these warnings, and then, not just a clear road, but an explosion of praise and glory an explosion like a firework party, a finale, something extraordinary. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Praise God. He rescues me. Praise God. He rescues you through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he helps us to stay away from evil. And he makes us innocent in the sight of God. Now this is extraordinary. To be blameless in the sight of God. Almighty God who is holy, set apart, free of all sin. A God of pure light and love. The creator of the heavens and the earth. Who looks at me. Unworthy, crass, stupid, inadequate, selfish and sees no fault. 
no fault. And even more than this, he does it with great joy. God, through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, will protect his children from their enemies and welcome them to live in heaven. What an amazing prospect. We shall never be able to praise God enough, but we can marvel at his goodness and grace. So these two verses are known as a doxology. A doxology is a short hymn of praise to God's glory. And typically it comes at the end of a psalm or a text or an epistle. And there are quite a few in the Bible, but Jude, for me, is by far the best. If I'm ever at one of those African churches where on the spur of the moment says, oh, you are going to preach to us, aren't you? I know a text I can always go to. It shares the good news of the gospel in the Trinity. These two verses sum up the whole salvation plan of God's extraordinary goodness. Firstly, the Holy Spirit of God who keeps me from stumbling day by day. The gift that Jesus promised that would be with us no matter what, no matter where, no matter when, until he comes again. From Pentecost to paradise, we have the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus Christ, who died for me, who died for you on the cross, that we could be saved, that we could look at Almighty God and be found without fault. And you know, it is all about Jesus. I know I am unacceptable before God. If he only knew a fraction of what I think and do, and of course he does, yet he ignores that because he sees Jesus. At the name of Jesus, Yeshu, every knee will bow. That was the plan from the beginning. Now, we don't talk about it much nowadays, but Jews and Israel and Jewish covenants were the way that God would eventually bring the world to salvation. The Jews were his chosen people, and this was the means by which he would ultimately be reconciled to everything that he created. The people of Israel were unable to meet the standards of the law, the Ten Commandments and the body of the Torah. And their relationship with God was long and increasingly unhappy. But one Jew did meet God's test of righteousness. He was right with God. And his name was Jesu. We call him Jesus. So we have the Spirit, we have Jesus, and we have the creator God, glorious and in control, to whom we owe all honor and praise and worship. And when I think of that extraordinary trinity, I can't find words to describe the majesty and power and splendor. I suppose if I had to choose one image, 
it would be the southern skies. And if you've ever been in South Africa or South America or Australia, and you've been at night, a clear night, and you've looked at the sky, you start by seeing very little. And after a few minutes, your eyes adapt to the dark and you begin to see hundreds and thousands and millions of stars. It almost blinds you. This dark night is full of light. It's so unimaginably vast. It's so far beyond our understanding. It's completely out of our control and breathtakingly beautiful. And for you, there might be a different image. It might be a rainbow. It might be a waterfall, a flower, the laugh of a baby. Whatever it is that touches you, that makes you say, wow, then that's your glimpse of an extraordinary God. So don't forget Jude. Don't skip straight on into Revelation. Just dwell on those last two verses. And if anybody asks you about your faith, or about what the Trinity is, what is the good news of the Gospel, just go to those last two verses. Him who is able to keep us from stumbling, to present us before the glorious presence of God without fault and, without, and with great joy. To the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Thank you.